0: What's up, gentlemen? Before we begin, a friendly reminder that this podcast is not associated with any church, school, or calling body, and nothing we say here is meant to be perceived as the official doctrine, teaching, or theology of any church, school, or calling body. We're a bunch of dudes who love Jesus. We love talking about Jesus, and this is where we air out our thoughts, so don't take it as much more than that. I hope that this is edifying for you. Let's get started with the show. Hello, gentlemen. My name is Charlie Ungemach, I'm the founder and curator of the Gird Up Podcast and all the ministry that goes along with it. We're doing all kinds of cool things now, um, and uh, we're glad that we can be a blessing to men all over the world. Well over 100,000 men across six continents have listened to this podcast and been edified by it, and that is thanks to you guys. If you guys weren't talking about it, sharing it, um, listening to it. I would not be able to reach that many men. So thank you to you guys. You're awesome. If you'd like to support the Gird Up podcast, you can do so by doing a couple of different things. One, you can go online, go to the website, and uh, you could buy yourself a Gird Up t-shirt. we got um, pretty much all sizes left, though we're running out of the adult sizes. So if you want to get your hands on any adult sizes, you got to do so soon second you could do is uh, you could go buy us a cup of coffee you can do that on the website as well click on it it says buy us a cup of coffee it's a five dollar donation uh, it goes to help us fund everything that we do here including all the licensing and posting and things like that um, or if you just simply wish to make a donation you can contact me or go on patreon either of those places um, is is a, a viable option for how you can donate to the podcast but most importantly guys we need your prayers um, men across the world need your prayers and we need your prayers here too that we might speak the truth boldly uh, we might know the truth, hear the truth, um, and live freely in the truth, and we pray that for you as well. Uh, you guys are all awesome. We're really looking forward to seeing you guys in person soon here. We have one of the men's conferences and things coming up. Uh, stay tuned for to find out which ones we're going to be at. Um, but, man, you guys are a blessing. We do this because of you. Uh, we love you all. Thank you to Nate Hensler and the Brigger Beard General Beard Oil Shop here. Christmas is coming up soon. If you're looking for gifts for the men in your life, whether it's stocking stuffers or something bigger than that, a great place to start would be beard oil. Um, and Nate Hensler makes some awesome beard oil. So go find Nate's products at uh, Brigger Beard General. Uh, you can find them on sites.google.com forward slash Brigger General or type into Facebook. You'll find them there and on Instagram as well. I'll Make sure I put a link down below right next to our link. And I think that's just about it. Uh, Guys, I love you. We're going to start with a prayer here and get into our interview today. And thanks for listening to the show. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you brought us together again, and you declare that wherever two or three are gathered together in your name, there you are with them. Uh, Bless our conversation with Pastor Robinson today, and uh, we pray that this might be something that helps men grow into men who know and love you better. Uh, Pray that you guide the words of our mouths and meditations of our hearts, that we might glorify your name. In your name we pray, amen. Let's get started with the show. You are listening to the Gird Up Podcast. This is the place where young men come to learn what it means to be a man after God's own heart. To gird up is an ancient way of preparing oneself for hard work or a battle ahead. And our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers working hard to be the men that God created them to be. So roll up your sleeves, gentlemen, and gird up. It's time to get to work.
1: All right, gentlemen,
0: our guest today is Pastor Aaron Robinson. What's going on, Pastor?
1: A lot of change. Professor, I guess. A lot of change. (laughs) And uh, the title that you first used is what I got, wow, uh, 21 years ago after Sim graduation and was pastor for quite a while. And then I got into the classroom and taught and and coached, and and now uh, professor is what they call me on occasion. So. It's been quite the journey. This last uh, three months has been a nice uh, adventure.
0: Has P-Rob followed you up to the hill?
1: It has. All Uh, right. Mainly because there are at least two schools I taught at where P-Rob was the name. St. Croix is where it started, and it followed me to Wisco. And and I have kids from students, former students from both of those schools here on campus or siblings. uh, And my own daughters. It's like, oh, stick with the P-Rob. I'm like, it still fits with with Professor. Yep. So I'm good.
0: Yeah, this is the first time I've had former students on campus. It's a weird experience. It's a weird experience. But I got a couple of kids that were at St. Marcus uh, who are now freshmen at MLC. And uh, one, of them, one of them walked up to me the other day and was like, hey, you took me on a recruiting trip up here when I was in seventh grade. I was like, y- yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was. Yep. But, uh, yeah, kind of funny how that – how the, I mean, the world keeps turning, so – and it's, yeah. not, it's not it's not weird as in, like, embarrassing or something. It's just kind of goofy that uh, – it's just goofy to be peers, you know?
1: Yeah, well, and coming now from the other end where I'm at in college as a professor with some of my professors. Ooh. And and now I'm getting used to, to calling them by a first name and talking to them as colleagues as opposed to as a student uh, at their feet most times trying to learn. Yeah. It, it is interesting to see that, that change. So, yeah, I, I – I get it from both ends. Well,
0: and you're by no means old, but you're also not even close to the youngest of the professors. So like, think about, I, there's, a, there's a lot of professors, several professors who are far closer in age to the students than they are to the other professors. It's got to be even a stranger experience for them, I suppose.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, for me at 47, I'll share my age so no one has to guess it, <laughs> 47 years old. So it, maybe you uh, are old. Never mind. I've got, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've got 21 years of ministry in. I think if uh, the current rate of uh, retirement goes, I'll have another twenty-one years to put in. So I'll at, at that other mark.
0: Yeah. You're not gonna? Are you gonna be one of those guys that just keeps preaching until he preaches until he goes into the grave, or are you gonna? You have a second act here somewhere?
1: I, I don't know because I've I've never had the same act for more than seven years. Oh, I
2: suppose. You know,
1: I had, did three at, at at Sure Foundation in New York. I did uh, seven at St. Croix, five at Wisco, six at Fairview. So I, I don't I don't know what the next act is. I mean, um, but I hope to keep I hope to stay active in the word and, and sharing it and um encouraging people to, to share it also. You know, it's part of what I've done throughout my career. Um, but yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah. So you went straight out the Schuerr Foundation from the seminary, right?
1: Well, uh Shure Foundation didn't exist when I graduated. Okay. Uh, so Steve Gabb and I were called to the Exploratory Outreach in New York City. And uh, after about two months, Sure Foundation was founded. You know, we were there to help a, um, a small group of of, of Christians, Wales members that are out there that were meeting in their homes and going down to Jersey uh, once a month or so for communion. We're there to, to build a congregation there. And that's what Sure Foundation ended up becoming.
0: So is... I I don't know anything about like the the um, maybe religious dynamics of of New York City. What's it? I don't even, I don't know anything.
1: So religious dynamics. Okay, so um, we had a mission there earlier, like in the seventies, with uh, Dr. Thompson and a number of individuals that were out there. And as far as being in New York with. The other churches, we were behind the curve because they had been there since the founding of, of United States of America, pretty much. You know. And so you mean like other in, church
0: bodies? Other church
1: bodies. And so we come in there in the 70s and then for us in the 2000s, and, and we've got well-established churches that are doing ministry. Uh, and so when 9-11 happened in that year and everybody was saying, aren't they coming to your church? Because everybody's seeking out something. They weren't coming to our storefront because there were established churches there that had spent time in those communities who were known as churches and we were still at the point of trying to establish a church. So, um, but, so there was, there were a lot of churches there. People were, were actively attending the churches. Um, but as far as people's closest to God, I never want to judge that because I don't know where they're at in their faith, but yeah, um, there are definitely a ton of churches.
0: So if there's a lot of churches there and people are attending them, why are we putting a mission there? I,
1: I, there are, I think there are two reasons why we, we chose that place for mission. One, um, there was not a strong conservative Christian church out there. Um, the largest church Lutheran-wise would be the ELCA, and, and then there are other churches that were a um, more charismatic bend to it. Secondly, we were, I think, exploring the idea of how to do urban ministry. I mean, mm-hmm. by urban, I truly mean urban. I don't mean ministry to black people. I mean urban, as in city. Yeah. How to do city ministry, and um, for some reason, that was on the hearts and minds of those that were making the decisions that were being led by God, by God to make those decisions. Um, and so we chose to do the exploratory out in New York City, even though looking back on it, we could have stopped at Chicago or Detroit or or Pittsburgh. There are a number of cities on the way to New York that if we wanted to start a church there, we could have probably done that. But I know, um, I think it was some of that we didn't have one there and we wanted to make that impact.
0: Well, and that reminds me a lot of what, um, I've heard about down in Texas where you have the same issue where you go down there, you try and plant the church. Uh, uh, Ben, uh, TBR Ben Reichel uh, was talking about that on a podcast a couple of years ago. And the, uh, the idea, you, you, go, you, don't, you go down there, um, you just kind of see, like, is there is there something here, you know? I mean, that is, there is a legitimate, like, it, it feels weird to talk about a church that way, but there is kind of like, is the soil here fertile for yeah. a church, right? And uh, what, that's one of the big things we've run into in Texas when we're trying to plant missions is everybody already belongs to a church. And so, like, the only way to... Establish a church essentially sheep stealing, you know, and that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody is going to a church where they're receiving the pure gospel and all that. And there is motivation to start a church there. Um, but, you know, there is also the, the analogy I use sometimes is uh, like if you're in the middle of a desert, any water is good. Right. And there might be a little poison. It might be a little mud in it, whatever. <laughs> you need something. Right. It's not going to kill you now, but thirst is going to kill you before the, the poison does. Right. Um, but if you're living in the suburbs, Mm -hmm. you know, and you have access to water, all of a sudden the purity of your water makes a whole lot of difference, right? Because you're consuming a lot of water and a lot of water. And I think that, that idea sometimes like needs to go into mission work too. Um, and it's, I, and it sounds like that's, you know, almost kind of what was going on there too. Just the idea of like, I don't know, I guess I don't know where I'm going with this. No, it's,
1: so I guess what you're talking about is how or why does a church body or a church, start a mission somewhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, For us in New York, there was a a group of individuals that were out there already that were asking for a shepherd to help them and to guide them. Um, And because it was going to be a different or unique mission for our church body, they sent the two of us out um, to to be those guys, those helpers and and those shepherds. But when you talk about a place like, you know, uh, I'll say the, the South or the Bible Belt, you know, kind of where I think Texas fits into that category. Where there's so much of, of a history of God's word, we also know that there are those who who, who claim membership at the church but have not gone, mm-hmm. and so they're they're really not active in their worship. They're not active in the church, and and as opposed to think, seeing it as sheep stealing, you're seeing it as as kingdom gathering.
2: Yeah, and
1: saying, okay, um, there are people here who who will claim this church but haven't been there in, in in a decade. They need to hear the word of God, and, and maybe. Uh, just you being there pushes them back toward their church, yeah, where they hear the word of God. But what the hope is that you could bring them that gospel as you as you believe it to be from the Scripture, and and give them a be- better look at Christ as the Savior of all. You know?
0: To to what extent are we? I mean, so sheep stealing obviously has kind of a negative connotation to it, but to what extent are we concerned about that? If we if we believe, which we do, that we are presenting the gospel in its truth and
1: purity, and we also believe. That wherever the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit is working. Right. So th- th- those those two things kind of um, stand separately, but but they right. work together in that, this conversation. Right. Um, the the way I I see it is that we are um, part of a larger um, effort by God to call His sheep to His pat to the pasture, um, but yet we have a way of doing it that we believe is right, and so we're going to stick to that that way. And and so let's say. Um, if I'm at a place and I'm uh, reaching out to this individual, this family, and they tell me that they belong to church Y down the street, um, in my best moments, what I would like to think I, I have done is called that pastor, emailed that pastor and said, Pastor, um, this family has, has been um, inquiring about worship. I just wanted to just check with you um, because I, I would love to have them come join us, but I don't want to. To, to to hurt their faith by confusing them about what God says. Mm-hmm. And and I've gotten a couple of calls back where someone just says, thanks for letting me know, but they haven't been here in a while. That's usually, that's usually what I get. Mm-hmm. It's the recognition that they haven't been served by them. They're not really their sheep anymore. Mm-hmm. And and so when, I, when I've done that, I felt best about it so that I know that I'm not sheep stealing. But I don't think you have to go that far. Yeah, that's that's the extra step that if you have the time and you have the of thought and you have a relationship, hopefully, you have a relationship with the other pastors in your area.
2: Yeah, because
1: we don't we don't don't live on an island alone doing ministry. The the Baptist, Pentecostal, Catholic uh, minister is in theory serving. We we believe serving the same God. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's easy to forget that. (laughs) So I, I, I I should know my my fellow shepherds. And, and 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 if nothing else, for the sake of maybe some way impacting them with a message that is closer to Scripture than I believe they are, yeah. And and that we become brothers, not in fellowship. I'm not talking about breaking bread and in, in, in the Lord's Supper or, or sharing anything in ministry, but recognizing that they're also trying to do. I, I pray they're trying to do what I'm trying to do to bring people to Jesus,
0: right. Yeah, well, and and there's also the dynamic, frankly, of like some people are studying the word and they look around and they say, yep, I'm not quite sure I'm getting the truth here. And uh, and that's a very, I think that's a different, that can't, that doesn't fit into the sheep stealing category either. I think that's, boy, this probably isn't the right way to put this either, but it's kind of the loser mentality, right? Of, you know, instead of what the mentality you're talking about of we're all trying to shepherd people into heaven. Um, and whether whether it's in whether the sheep is in your flock or my flock, they're headed in the same direction, right? It, hopefully, right. Um, uh, now we, you know, we like we we think we're on a straightest path, you know. And and every church ought to think that. If you don't think that, why is church right? right. Um, but so you look around, like this. I guess what I'm saying is, there's a lot of people that do look around and say, you know, hey. I'm not happy here for whatever reason mm-hmm. and then I start to seek it and they don't necessarily like it's not like it's not like selling a house. It's not like you you know, there's a clear transfer of like, all right, this house is no longer mine and now I'm buying a new house, you know? Right. Or, or trading in a car. Like you don't like go to the to the church store and buy yourself a new church, you know. And a lot of times it's more fluid than that. And uh you can you can look at it like you said as sheep stealing or you can look at it as like We're putting the gospel out there, and it's attracting people.
1: Well, we we even have that same conversation in a different way within our own church body. Yeah. I mean, you were in Milwaukee for a good number of years. I grew up in Milwaukee, um, and I've been in the Twin Cities where we have a—in those two places, we have a number of churches. Mm -hmm. So you get to pick and choose which church you want to go to. Not based on theology, because we are all in the same fellowship. Yeah but people are are being fluid because of the uh, they like this pastor or this preaching or they like this music or this song or this so even within our own fellowship people feel like people are are taking their sheep in a in a um, not deceitful but in a hurtful way to their ministry
2: yeah
1: and and i i remember when i when one of my members decided to go somewhere else it, it does hurt and and you, you hopefully what I well what I did was I asked okay well, what could I have done differently, mm-hmm. and then I realized wait a minute they didn't leave the church they just left my church
2: right
1: they they didn't leave God's church they they they, they went down the block to another Wells congregation praise be to God yeah instead of taking it personally like why aren't they here with me because then, yeah. then then it becomes about me right yeah and and I and I had that moment so I'm not I'm not. I'm not saying, I'm not saying, but I'm just saying that that's how how that happened to me. It's like, why did they leave me? What what, what did I do wrong? And and then God was like, you know, it's really about me, Aaron. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) And so even in our fellowship, you have to not be so worried about who's doing what. I mean, we just had the message last week about uh, people that, that the disciples didn't know who were casting out demons. And they wanted Jesus have them stop doing that. And Jesus said, no, if they can't go to my name, let them be.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. Um, what do you, uh, like, what's the approach maybe when somebody comes to, when somebody shows up at a church and says, you know, hey, you know, I'm a member at such and such church we're not happy there or you know we we're not we don't like their doctrine on this or whatever it is mm-hmm. um and we' we're interested in your church what's the approach as a pastor
1: well you know um first i would i would say well thanks for coming glad to have you and may God bless your worship today or if it's just after the sermon of the service i I'd write them back to bible study and i'd say, well And if you left your your information with me, I'll give you a call and I'll follow up so that I could have a deeper conversation. Because on Sunday morning or Saturday night, whenever you go to church, uh, I as a pastor am in such a a, a mode that I don't don't think I have the time to truly get to know you Mm -hmm. if you're a new person coming in. Because um, there's a whole other set of sheep there that are still... Involved in conversation and interaction, so I would I would say let me get back to you, um, and then when I get back to them, I would I would ask them how long they've been at that church, um, what do they what do they believe about in the Bible, you know I would I would go deeper into those kind of questions, and because really what what might be happening is is that you might be getting the same problems that the last pastor had, that really wasn't about the teaching, mm-hmm. it's about personality, mm-hmm. or it could be about a sin mm-hmm. that that is uncovered. Or that that's uncovered, and now they wouldn't cover it up again. So they they move from place to place. It, it's it, it's because I may not know their whatever sin that they're struggling with that they don't want to. So the other pastor called them on it. Yeah, and so so and that's what after that conversation I have with them, the follow up. That's what I might call their former pastor, and just make sure I get both sides of that coin. <laughs> yeah, you know, were they yeah. faithful members? Were they coming a bunch? Had they just come for um an an outing for the school where they active members you know um anything that you think i should know without going into personal business and and then say thanks for sharing and then go from there just because really the 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 part of that conversation i think is is really great is when he hears that they're being served by another church that's christian
2: yeah
1: because he's probably worrying where is my sheep
2: Mm -hmm. and i
1: make the phone call hey your sheep's over my pen they're safe I'm giving them the word of God. And that's that's a good call to have. Yeah. You know, and so um I would talk to them about from that angle. And uh and if it works out that it there's no underlying issue that is they're trying to hide, and if they are and it's uncovered then we can work through it, but that that they come and hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit um leads them to fellowship with us. But that, yeah, it, that may be a process, it may take a while, you know, when so you just a patient, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so when um, okay, going back to the new York, the the Sure Foundation conversation, mm-hmm. the uh, like you grew up in Milwaukee, yeah, right? and that's a city, it but is, but that's a whole lot different than New York City, right? I feel perfectly comfortable in Milwaukee, but I do not feel comfortable in New York City. What what was that transition like for you?
1: You know, um, it was. For me, it was really good. It, there was a, uh, the, the hardest part was the having my, my wife becoming pregnant and having our first child in a place where we had no support. You know, so yeah. so those kind of things. Well, I suppose
0: with a brand new congregation, you know, we had the congregation support.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, like, we there was nobody over, I think there was one woman over 35 in the whole group. Wow. So we were all young. Yeah, and 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 the wells or Wells ViBA for our insurance was not known in New York, so we had all those kind of first time figuring it out things. It didn't help that in the in the after uh, the aftermath of our you know getting there a year later, pretty much nine eleven happens, and so you have another another wrench thrown right into the wrench of of our lives. Where uh, as someone once told us. I graduated, got a call, we moved, no we got. we got, got a call, uh, we got married, we moved, started a new job and expecting your first child. That happened all within 4 months. Wow. Wow. So we have the, the stressors of life impact us. So the, the idea of New York as a stressor <laughs> it was just it was just another one of, you know, yeah. <laughs> it was just another one of the the many that we worked through and and I like I love people. I, yeah. I love being around people. So New York was awesome for that. And being born in '74, in the '80s, almost every rap song that I liked <laughs> was from a New York artist. Yeah, from LL to Rakim, you know Run DMC. You know all of that was out of New York. Nas, all out of New York. So, Is it it wasn't it Run DMC uh, Atlanta? No, run DMC is Hollis, Queens. All right, and and so for me, that was I had a picture of it already because I, I grew up hearing the talk about their streets, yeah, and 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 about their environment and their place, and and so New York wasn't wasn't unfamiliar to me as as a space. Right. I, I remember when my brother came to visit. We were walking around, and and we were just giddy about <laughs> about being where Rakim walked and where LL walked, and so those were, those are the things that, that shaped our lives that way. Yeah. So for me, New York wasn't it, it wasn't about oh it's New York no it's it's a place I mean I know this place why because I heard I heard Rock talk about it and and Ron was talking about it and so I was good with New York yeah <laughs> you know so good it it was just really it was it wasn't new
0: yeah so um when you go to a place like that obviously as a black man did you find yourself um kind of trending towards those neighborhoods or like how do you approach that as a well, so, so who is your your, your partner was steve gab and he's a sounds like a white guy yeah he's, <laughs>
1: yeah he's uh steve gab is uh is a, a german american uh heritage Yeah, know he's a white guy yeah. um went through prep with him uh, best man at his wedding oh really him since i was cool. 14 his brother and my brother are classmates at, at prep so i've known gab bucky yeah. we called him back you know for more than, more than half my life, you know, at that at that time. Yeah. And we go out there, and for me, it wasn't—Bucky and I were talking about this. Uh, Steve and I were talking about this as we were walking the streets of Queens, trying to figure out where to go.
2: Yeah.
1: Because we got there really with, with no blueprint, right? And I had been asked a number of times about my congregation once I got out of seminary, by people from the neighborhood, like, so when you get out of, out of Simmer, you're going to have a black church? Mm-hmm. And I, and my answer is always, I'll have the church that, that God gives me, right? And so I got out to New York, and so Steve and I are having that same kind of conversation. And it's really about what whoever God gives us, you know? And so when we settled and found places to live, and then we found a place to, to have an office.
0: In Queens, in right? In Queens, yeah
1: we were surrounded by all different ethnicities so that there was really not a minority ethnicity within that, within Sure Foundation's area of Woodside Queens, right? It yeah. was just, so, um, not only, we didn't turn anyone away, but we didn't seek any one person out. We didn't have a goal of let's evangelize to the, the black people because you're black or to the German Americans because you're German American <laughs> or to the, we went in there and said, okay, we put up our shingle and we'll start sharing the gospel, invite people to church, and and introduce ourselves to, ourselves to people, and uh, and then what we end up getting were a, a smattering of some immigrants, right? We didn't know that we were. I mean, we knew that New York was a had a high immigrant population. You know, Ellis Island and the history of all that, but where we were at in, Suref- in Woodside, Queens, was really first generation immigrant heavy, and so we'd have. Uh, we started an ESL class, and we'd have people that were from Ecuador, from Colombia, from, from Greece. We had a, a couple from um, uh, eastern India, all coming to— So, we, we, <laughs> so you, 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 you couldn't say, let's just focus on one. We had to figure out what was going on first. And then as we did that, we found out that, you know, there were— just more uh, Spanish-speaking immigrants because there are more Spanish-speaking countries. Yeah. And so the, yeah. The, then we focused on that, and then we became a, it became a bilingual service by the time I left three years later.
0: Okay. Did either you speak sp- Spanish?
1: Uh, no, neither one of us did. So um, <laughs> at some point in time in the conversation about where we're hitting, we, we decided to go on a Spanish route just because it seemed like the right thing to do. Yeah. And there were funds to send us to Ecuador to get immersed. Oh. At the time, there was a, a third part of our, our our three-headed monster, and that was uh, Indolethio Nebaker who was, um, a, by that time, a staff minister with us. He had been there before, kind of getting things started. Then we got there, he became staff minister. It was the three of us. Yeah. And, um, and I think Bucky, I, I had a semester of, of Spanish <laughs> in college. Bucky had a Spanish in college for the whole year. And I called up a friend of mine, a classmate, you know, a fellow pastor. I said, what do you think? It's the thing about sending us to Quito. He goes, explain to me the advantage. And I forget the exact wording of what he said, but it was like something to the effect of, what's the advantage of having one of our few black pastors go learning Spanish? <laughs> That's fair. And so so then we sent Bucky to learn Spanish and then and Deletheo, and they learned Spanish, uh, immersed in it, and came back and— we started doing it, and so I would do the English, and then they would do the Spanish. And Diletio would sometimes take my sermons, and, and he would translate them as much as he needed to, and, and he would preach the Spanish part. Yeah, uh, Carlos Liver, uh, Jr., who's down in DSA, he was there for the, one of the last sermons that I preached because the Sim had come out to do some canvassing with us and do their their learning. And so I sent in a the sermon early, and I just said, Make it your own. And I preached a sermon, and, and he, then he preached it, like, by paragraph almost in Spanish. I don't know what he said, but, but I'm, <laughs> I'm sure it was scriptural. Yeah, sure <laughs> sounded good, right?
0: <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, so were, were there ever any, like, issues between cultures or anything in within Sure Foundation?
1: No, no. Um, it was just it was people coming together just to, you know, it's, it sounds so simplistic, but the group that came to us it was a group that just came in to be loved.
2: Yeah,
1: and to be supported and encouraged, and, and you find out things like, like there's a, uh, people that have degrees back home, but they can't use them here, so they're working oh, as, yeah,
2: yeah,
1: yeah. You know, um, food service people at, at high school. They're, yeah. they're doing janitorial jobs, but they have a degree and have the ability and the knowledge. But so people were just, they were just humble and, and happy to be there, and and we were happy to be there to serve them. So I never saw any clashes with the. Ethnic groups, because for most of the time that I was there, we didn't single anyone out.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, what's the difference then between not that all of our congregations in Milwaukee or or Minneapolis have these kind of issues, but you do see that quite a bit in, you know, Milwaukee, even St. Louis a little bit, and and in uh, Minneapolis. Um, I mean, not even not even talking about the political realm, just like within our churches, we do often have a bit of a culture clash. So what's the difference between, um, you know, what's going on in, at your foundation and what's going on a lot of times in other churches?
1: Well, let, let's take sure foundation off the map for a minute. Cause I, I haven't been there in, in 18 years. <laughs> yeah, as a certain, sorry, it, it, it uh, it's, it's his own thing, but um, you asked the question about the culture clashes within uh, the, the Rust Belt, yeah. really the um the urban settings in of Milwaukee and and Twin Cities oh, and Milwaukee and so remains
0: much. the most segregated city in America too um
1: yeah so so there is a uh, a joy that people have in America and, and for the sake of our conversation I'll say uh, the, the white community um with reaching out to foreigners overseas you know the missions and or for, or at least far away places maybe not even, not even foreign yeah but there is a great passion for that and that's awesome and, mm-hmm. I, and i and i thank god for that because it allows us to 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 have a congregation or congregations that that support missions around the world but within america uh there is a because of history and I have not put my finger on all the rest of it because it's it's too big of a project right now, but I've got to figure it out, I guess. There is an issue with how people view what African Americans do. And by African American, I mean very specifically the ancestors of slaves, not just black. Because you could be a first-generation uh, American from a, a country in Africa, and, and you're black, and because it's foreign and there's a language difference and there's these other things and there's more of an allowance for, oh, I, I get why it's harder. I get that. I understand that. But when it comes to African-Americans, I think that America um, is that is seeing now that what it thought in the 80s when we were all kind of, everybody's getting along was a thought that there's some underlying hurt still there. Mm-hmm. and And that hurt isn't unwarranted. But it was unseen by so many people. Uh, maybe it was hidden. You know, may, maybe one of the things that um, could have been done better is to show some of the hurt, so that when it when it reached to the surface, it didn't seem so surprising.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, I, I so back to your question: when we see our brothers in Zambia and Malawi singing and and praising God in their fashion no one in our church body has a problem with that no one says it's too charismatic or it's too much activity and and there there are black people doing those dances so it's not like it's a, it's against black it, but but america has this issue and they differentiate between between black and white or african american and white so much in america that and this is outside of our congregations to start with you have um Black TV shows and white TV shows, black movies and, and white movies. We we just separate them like they have to be separated, and 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 then separating something you usually are giving something, the the other thing, the one that's not your thing, it's not as good as. And, and you may even admit that this is an opinion, but that's how it that's how it's framed. Whenever we say them or us. I'm doing what I'm doing because I think it's right. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing.
0: Right. And even if it isn't like a judgment of value, it's like, a well, that's not for me and this is for me kind of a thing. And it just creates that bigger and bigger divide.
1: Right. So, So within the church, I'm bringing it back to the church, that because we are part of the society, there is this thing that even our church members look at, or maybe even our pastors look at with regard to how um, certain groups, certain people from uh, the black community, choose to worship. And say that's dangerous. It might lead to this. It 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 doesn't seem right, and, or maybe or maybe it's just it's uncomfortable. So that's within the church now. If that's where the church is with it. And that could be from either side, black or white. I'm not, so let's let's not put it all on one group or the other, right? That kind of uncomfortability within cultural conversations is out there, mm-hmm. right? Now, we have the love of Christ that's supposed to bring us together, and, it, and yet it still causes a rift, that, cult, that culture causes a rift. So if we're talking about a non-Christian community that has the same cultural Conversations or collisions. Now I'm gonna call it collisions with them because that's how they interact. Yep. That's why you have so much of that happening in in those communities where you have a large enough number of of African Americans that that impact or collide with a, another large number of, of of white Americans. That that's where I think the clashes happen. Um, is it all the time? No. Is it everybody? No. And so, I say this to you, listening, if it's not you, please don't be offended yeah. right it's yeah so I'm, I'm so i'm not I'm not saying and i and i I hope you didn't hear this, I'm not saying that every white person has these uncomfortable collisions. I'm saying that they're out there, and some of those uncomfortable uncomfortable collisions keep us from having better conversations with each other, and I'm not saying every black person has uncomfortable conversations, but, but so just know that if it's not you. Then you don't have to feel guilty. I'm not asking you to apologize, but just know that it's out there and it's real. That some people don't like people just because it's different.
0: Yeah, well, and say that it's that uncomfortability is the is the thing that I think you really nailed it on the head with the the idea of not being comfortable. Um, and you know speaking from my personal experience of you know white dude coming into a 100 percent black. Um, neighborhood and congregation and school and everything Um, like I can relate to that being uncomfortable and feeling like you don't belong and feeling like you're not you know at home or whatever and I also can Mm -hmm. relate to then like it almost feels like this isn't the wrong term but it almost feels like an invasion uh, like when the culture of your church starts to change right where you you know all of a sudden there is maybe gospel music or you get this a lot of times the contemporary music too where it's like well the young people are just taking over the church you know yeah um you know or you know like i it took me a long time to um appreciate gospel music i think and and i i my first at saloa like my first two years it was like, uh, it's a it's a gospel choir, son it wasn't like a oh Jesus, it's a gospel choir son it was just like a, okay, you know like i I'm, I'm not gonna get much out of this yeah. music, you know, and then the second two years, like a singing solos in the gospel choir, you know there's got to be a token white guy in the gospel choir anyway but <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like it 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 just takes a long time to, it does take a long time to get used to um and so i I had the blessing I guess of being Say this this is probably an overstatement. Again, not whatever. If it offends you, get over it. You know, the mm-hmm. uh um I, I, I had the blessing of being able to be the minority for once, you know? Like I've never been a minority in my entire life until I showed up there and was the minority and very quickly realized they loved me for being the minority who would be comfortable there. The, like he didn't care about my color of my skin or my background. It's like, hey, this guy's real. He's showing up it's the, he wants to be a part of our family. The word
1: is the real genuine being you yeah if you try to be like us or or them they would have spotted that and then you'd have been questioned and and not appreciated because you were trying to be something that you're not um in the same way uh, i think that is something that is going to happen now now here's the where the difference comes in the conversation right because at any point in time that you wanted to leave that community and go back to somewhere where you were not the minority you could do that, yeah. So, so, so when we talk about these cultural clash moments, that for the majority in, in any group, uh, you never lose completely lose the the accessibility or the uh, the ability to to get away from the situation. Like if you're if you are um, part of the majority culture, if you're white in America, and you choose to, um, you can live your whole life without interacting with another culture if you're a minority and, 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 and still be successful in most areas of that Yeah. if you're a minority um, and or the underserved whatever the, the proper term is these days you wouldn't be successful you can't do that completely because in, in, you have to interact with across culture lines a guy in, um, in Milwaukee who's doing some really good stuff I wish I remember the name of his organization but he had a a farm that he was doing in the city on eighth like and ring. And uh, he would invite the young boys in the neighborhood that were doing nothing on Saturday coming until the farm. And he would give them a couple bucks for that. And then he has a, um, a, a banquet or a ball for him once a year where they dress in tuxedos and, and he, <laughs> he treats them, you know, he, he shows them that there's a different way to, 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 to interact. Anyway, he said to me at one lunch, um, we can't afford to be culturally exclusive as minorities, because so often times people say, "Well, let's 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 um, only buy black and only do this with each other and only stay in our culture." And if you do that, you limit your access to resources and opportunities, yeah. especially when you're the minority. And so you, you say we can't be culturally exclusive, and I've 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 heard that six, seven, eight years ago, whatever it was, and, I, and I've, I've held onto that term because I, I don't think we want to be culturally exclusive. God calls us not to be culturally exclusive. He says, go make disciples of all nations, right? And so as a Christian, and I, I don't want to be culturally exclusive in my worship, in my teaching, in, in my fellowship. I want to be um, open to all just as Christ was for all.
0: Yeah. What, what does that practically Like, in a practical sense, what does that look like in our churches? Does that mean, like, what, yeah, I guess what does that look like on a daily basis? Does that mean, like, you, you know, change, like, you see a lot of churches will do, like, you know, whether it's celebrating black history, you know, or what, you know, and and you've got all the different, you know, holidays and things, right? Um, or, or, Or is it... I don't know. Like, what does that look like? Okay, so
1: so it's it's going to vary. I guess
0: what I'm saying is, like, a lot of times that ends up being, like, lip service, right? And you don't want to go the lip service route. So what does that, in a practical sense, actually look like?
1: It's going to vary in every situation. Mm-hmm. Because not every comu- there are no communities that are exactly the same. Right. Right? So in one community, it may need to start with just those things that appear to be surface. Mm-hmm. And it looks like lip service, but that's where they start because they, they've got no base for everything else. Yeah. And they may not even have a, a strong enough core of of the ethnic group they want to champion to to have it be more right. authentic. Yeah. And so, it, it, and it, will, it, it may look really bad, but if you're doing it out of, out of love in your heart and you're not trying to be demeaning, then then have your Black History Month or, or have a, a gospel weekend or have a gospel choir come out and do it, uh, sing once uh, a year and maybe that's all you can do if you're not in an area where you have a, a large number of of, of minorities uh, of different cultures when i was up in emmanuel greenville for my friend's uh, installation uh, a gentleman there uh, asked me an older gentleman he said what what can we do we're in emmanuel greenville we don't we don't have a large population <laughs> right. of 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 other ethnic groups you know he was asking the same question so in in his, in, in his congregation in his life what can he do to reach out to people from all cultures when there aren't all cultures around them, yeah. And and for him, I said, well, could, we got a number of churches in Milwaukee that maybe could use a letter now and again. Maybe become pen pals. You know, I'm mean, I'm going old school with pen pals, but you you start a dialogue with somebody that you're in fellowship that that has that, you know. And I said you probably already do that, but you do it through your world missions, and you just don't know it because you it, it's going overseas and it's serving them, so you're already doing that. Yeah. Um, and I said, and then maybe do a picnic together. Yeah, you know, do a brewer game together. You mm-hmm. guys drive down there, do a program, invite them to a Timber Rattlers, Rattlers game. You know, it, in that community, that's how I would do it if I was trying to make this intentional. Yeah, um, for some people, it, it it may be, you know, uh, moving your family to New Orleans, Minnesota to be cultural diversity director <laughs> coordinator. You know, um, because you see a need in the in the pipeline that that there are students who would not feel comfortable. Being in a town that has that is has as its goal to stay as German as it can be. Yeah, yeah. that is New Alm's goal, and 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 God bless New Orleans. But if I'm not into trying to be more German or stay German, then that I might not enjoy that part of the town.
0: You tell me you don't have a pair of lederhosen in your closet.
1: I'm not telling you that, <laughs> <laughs> but I but I'm also not saying that I do. Yeah, <laughs> and so so being here and 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 giving them a place a, a person to to talk with and and to say, you know, you can you can get through this, it's gonna be okay. You know, maybe that's where you go. Um so yeah, it's, it's it's so hard to answer that question because it's so different depending on the community and then the gifts that God has given you. Like yeah. I mean, Pastor Jeske, my, my pastor since since I was five years old, didn't come to Milwaukee knowing how to play gospel music. But he had he had the chops to play music. And, and and he developed those so that he could then offer this to the congregation with support from people like Darlene Jones and, mm-hmm. and I think Ned Getty was part of that and all those people that were a part of growing that. Darlene could sing. <laughs> and so, so, so you have to find out what your gifts are because yeah. my gifts aren't piano. I I can't become a Mark Jeske and start pounding up the piano because I want to give gospel music. That's not my gift, at least not that I know of. I've not been blessed with that yet. <laughs> um. So, so, so the community and then your gifts – and then who God gives you, yeah. You know, um, there are people that have been put into congregations or around congregations that they can help them do something more than they can do themselves. Mm-hmm. And maybe they become part of the congregation. I don't know, but um,
0: yeah. Well, it's a reality of serving the people around you. You know, like yeah, um, like you say in New Ulm, it, it would almost be silly um, to have like a. You know, like a Hmong outreach program, right? But there aren't any here. But there's a very large Hispanic population. There's a growing black population here. Like it makes sense. You know, and so there I don't know, to an to an extent
1: But but like but, so so here's the question that I've been asking in my head and heart for a while. Currently, um the African American the black population in America is like fourteen percent. Yeah. And about to get if it's not, if it's not already passed over by the Hispanic community, um, oh,
0: I think I think last time I saw it was Hispanic it was like twenty three, I think. Yeah, so
1: so we're already second in line now. Yeah. Does does fourteen percent move the needle? Does fourteen percent direct or guide the shepherd? Now take that fourteen percent, and okay, that's the whole nation. Now in your own community, where the church is you've got one family or two families that are now coming in, it's going to be take time to make changes that might make them feel more comfortable because they have to first become comfortable enough to tell you what's, what's going to make them more comfortable. <laughs> and then the congregation has to be saying, okay, um, and, I, and I know the answer should be, well, we'll do we'll put all things to all people. Mm-hmm. But you only got a handful.
0: Well there's also the there's also frankly the the reality that like there's a whole lot of things that transcend culture um, and the reason I think a lot of churches struggle with these cultural boundaries is that they don't do the things that transcend culture well, like loving people and being welcoming and you know i I can't remember his uh rosen now rosenberg oh they
1: they gave a talk at the leadership yeah
0: right where he's just talking about like well this is actually what i was thinking about earlier when you're talking about sure foundation is you know his his starting question is not like hey do you have a church his starting question is do you have a pastor who visits you you know and like these are like i said these are the things that transcend culture like these are meeting the basic needs of people in their spiritual lives. Is like, how can I serve you, regardless of your race, regardless of your background, regardless of your socio socioeconomic status? How can I serve the people that are around me every single day?
1: Now, once again, I, I, I've heard clips of his, of his speech. I wasn't at the conference, but but he's gifted. Yeah. So his gifts impact how he does ministry. That's true. Everybody that comes out of the seminary or a seminary no how to have those same gifts. That's true. And and his background is unique enough that it allows him to. So so you have to put that into the, to the place and say, that's a good possibility. But when I got to New York, um, they were telling us that we should read Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Church just to get some ideas. Rick Warren started his church in a community that was being built with a space for a church to plant right there. Oh, jeez. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so it, it, Saddleback was not, not, not New York City. It wasn't around in the eighteen hundreds, and being built up. So, it was totally different. What he did now, there are some things you learn from everybody. Hopefully, you know yeah. you can take some of this, take some of that. But, but, so you got to be wary of that. Comparing or using someone else's way and saying, "I'm going to do it that way." That may not be your way. What, how is God leading you to reach this person and 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 give them that thing that transcends all understanding, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is about, you know, and I think the first thing you have to establish with, with with anybody is trust. And and so when you're going into a cultural conversation about anything, if I think that you don't like me because of my culture, then I'm gonna be less likely to trust you about my groceries, about <laughs> the car dealership, about yeah. my salvation. And and so that's where for a person Especially for them, from the majority culture, that that um, it takes time to to build up the trust. Um, and once once you once you trust somebody, once they trust you, then it's it's an easier conversation around any cultural point, you know. And if you can get to the part where they love you, well, then you can tell me anything, and 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 I can I can forgive that because I know you love me. But if I, if I don't think you tr- if I think you don't love me. And I don't trust you. I don't care what program you have out there. You're going to struggle. And I think that's where the schools sometimes get it wrong because the parents don't understand that they're doing it, that they have this school, not because they want your child to go to Harvard, but because they love you. Yeah. And and, and because I love you, I want to give you one of the greatest tools you could ever have, which is to be able to to read and to write and to to critically thinks so that you might read and write things from God and write things to God. Yeah. You know, and, and so it's, it's a ministry. It's not, it's not just a school.
0: Right. And so for context, we're talking about uh, uh, particularly urban schools that are attached to churches um, where, you know, whether it's a choice school or whatever it might be, like the idea of the church being attached to a school or the school being attached to the church, I should say, and then you're teaching kids from the community that aren't necessarily attached to the church, correct? Um, and there's a lot of them that do like that's that's exactly it, like Christ College Character, or I'm trying to think, well, I'm trying to think of some of the other slogans, but those ideas, right, where you're bringing people in with the like the idea of. I'm going to give you kids the top-notch education, and the marker for that in our society at the moment is college, right? Mm-hmm. Like, where's my college placement? Uh, as opposed to the idea of I'm going to prepare you for life, and part of preparing you for life is giving you this gospel message. Yep, you need to be able to read and write, um, and then hey, whatever you want to do with that, you go ahead and do that. We're going to make sure you're ready for high school and everything, but we're also going to prepare you for life by giving you knowledge of the one source of life
1: yeah and, and and I and I can expand that out to any program that a church might have for the community if you have a program for the community maybe it's a vacation bible school or it's a summer school or it's a a marriage counseling or it's a, whatever whatever the program is trust and love has got to be part of that conversation otherwise they can find the same thing somewhere else right I mean you can find a good school that' doesn't teach christ at all in the world we live in. But we're talking about trust and love and, and, and the yeah. one that, so yeah, I mean, it's in these cultural moments, that's trust and love are, are two big keys. And then one that um, Megan Gosaki uh, brings up often when we meet is humility. So, mm-hmm. so for the, to have the humility, the compa- the, the capacity for humility that says, Whatever you're going through, I'm okay with you going through it. How can I be there to help? And not with an arrogance like I have all the answers, and I have all the the the, the fixes to the, all the problems, or that that because I'm not doing what you're doing, I'm a writer I'm writer R I G H T E R than you are, and you're wrong. Humility, you know. And so um, I think that's a, those three words. If I could throw those in there, is, taglines you know humility have humility build up trust show love
0: yeah I would have that conversation a lot as a teacher I think too with parents and you can whether or not this is the I'm not saying this is the necessarily the right way to do this but I would have this conversation often with I prided myself with having good personal relationships with most <laughs> of the you know parents and families that were in my classroom and it served me very well mm-hmm. but I would have this conversation often of like look at some point, I'm going to offend you. At some point, you're going to wonder why I'm saying what I'm saying. At some point, your kid's going to come home with a story, and you're going to say, "What happened today?" You know, all those things are going to happen, right? And at some point, you're probably going to offend me. <laughs> at some point, I'm going to say, "What on earth are you doing with your child?" At some point, you know, I'm going to say, "Goodness gracious, what's happening at home?" You know. Yeah. And so, and let's recognize that, and we'll have conversation about it. So, hey, like, look. look If there's something going on, like I don't know sometimes when I'm doing something that's, you know, either maybe offensive or maybe it's just like out of bounds or whatever it is. If that comes up, you call me up and you say, hey, Mr. You, I heard this happened. You know, can you explain? And then sometimes I'm going to have the same conversation with you. I'm going to say, hey, so this is happening with your child you know this is the way they're talking. You know this is consistently happening. Um, you know they're showing up without a belt or shoes. You know like whatever it whatever is, whatever it is. Yeah. You know like what's going on? You know and, and and most of the time there's a conversation to be had there. I remember one time there was I had a student um, fairly early on in my ministry who was just sleeping in class every single day. You know, so and there's the you know what's the normal phone call? Hey, kidney's needs a bedtime you know you're going to like your kid's failing school because he needs a bedtime be a you know basically Mm -hmm. be a better parent right as opposed to the question like hey like so i notice your kid is is really struggling to stay awake during class you do it do you have any idea why that might be and that conversation all of a sudden like and this is this is a what's the right word uh anyway this is one example right um this, but the, uh, in this particular, the one I'm thinking of, dad says, hey, I'm a nighttime security guard at a homeless shelter. Like, I can't be at home with him, and we have a house. But I can't be at home with him at night. And by the time I get home, it's time for him to get ready for school. So during the week, he sleeps at my auntie's house on Monday night. He sleeps with his cousins on Tuesday night. He sleeps with so-and-so on Wednesday night. You know, yeah. five different nights a week. he's sleeping in five different places. Of course he's not going to get a good night's sleep, you know? And so then this is a whole different conversation than the, you know, hey, your kid needs to sleep more. or You know what I mean?
1: Right. <laughs> you, you, you took time in that moment. You took time to understand the the – the source or the reason for the problem or the behavior, as they mm-hmm. say in, in you know in, in education terms. So you found out the source of the behavior. You didn't treat the behavior; you treat the source.
2: Right. And
1: so, okay, so now I know this is the case. How can I help you in that? What can I do? And sometimes you can't do anything. You can't give him a better job. Yeah. You can't get him better better sleep. And sometimes that that's that's the reality. You can't help. But if you know, you can be more helpful. Yeah. Than you would be if you thought he was just being, um. It considered a rude, or you know, he's being lazy. But you said, yeah. well, maybe there's something deeper.
0: Yeah. Well, it just opens up a door of communication too, where you say, like, all right." So he's he is sleeping during school, uh, but we need to get this stuff learned to others he's not getting ready for you know fifth grade. So yeah. here's the deal: like we we have to find a way to make this work. I mean that again, is a conversation that the parents gonna be normally very receptive to, you know, Um, or even just like verbiage or language or whatever. Like you come from different cultures or you come from different backgrounds, even within a, within a people group, you know, you're going to have different conversations. You're going to talk to each other different ways, all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And so just be able to have those conversations and say, like a lot of the things we perceive as cultural issues aren't even cultural issues as much as they are, you know, maybe not, we perceive them as ethnic issues. And they're not even ethnic issues as much as anything else. I remember another conversation I had. Somebody came to me one day and said, like, so I have a, a young man uh, who's, you know, from a minority culture and won't look me in the eye during a job interview. Like, you know, I want to be receptive to his culture. You know, like, what is it? It's like, well, he's not looking at you in the eye. He's not looking at you in the eye. Like, he, this isn't a cultural barrier here. This is a young man who doesn't know how to behave in a job interview. And it might have something to do with his, you know, Socioeconomic background or something—I don't really say it's not an automatic do not hire, but this also isn't like a cultural barrier that needs to be broached. Like, take it for what it is—is yeah. not looking me in the eye during a job interview.
1: So as I'm learning, as I'm learning more about uh, culture in the academic sense, yeah, with my new position, um, I'm 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 learning and I'm still figuring this out. So forgive me if I speak out of out of turn. The uh, sociologists and psychologists out there listening. <laughs> But 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 I have a personal culture, and then there is the culture of my family. And then there's the culture of my community. So 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 culture is a, is a many layered thing, right?
2: Yeah.
1: And so, my parents from one culture, an ethnic culture, could have raised me with a different way of behaving than my than than my ethnic culture would seem to have on paper because that's our family culture and, and then as i grow and then i go from this school to that school and, and i get this job then i have my own way of doing things which we, we wouldn't call that culture per se but it's really how you do things and what, what's part of you it's say, a part of culture the
0: culture of your your workplace the culture of your school you know whatever so so
1: so you don't want to take almost every incident like you're saying about the looking in the eye and go oh that's because you know in the in the monk community, they don't look people in the eye. It must be it.
0: <laughs>
2: right. I, mean,
1: I know one monk person now, and I'm making this huge cultural assessment. Instead of saying, well, maybe this person is shy. Maybe they don't feel confident. Maybe it is a cultural thing. I don't know. It could be it, it, probably five other things that I didn't list. But to to take it back to culture almost says, then over oh, then we can't address it, or we have to over-address it. Just let them have that moment. Let them, let them work through that. And if they're qualified for the job, the job, you know. And right. but if it's but if if you say to the class, uh, please look at the board. They have their head down. Well, now they're about following directions. Yeah, and you might have to address that. Okay, why don't you look at the board? Well, because I don't want to look at you eye, Because of, okay, listen, uh, this is now this culture. You're, you're this. Once you're in a new culture, you have to you have to to some degree adapt to that culture. Especially if you're not the one that is controlling the culture, right? So. If in the culture that I'm in, um, they don't look people in the eye, and I'm in that culture trying to learn. If I go overseas to, to learn, and that's how they behave, then I need to adapt that behavior mm-hmm. because that's how they do it. Um, when I was in Zambia a couple of years ago, I got I got, I got the coolest trip of my life. Went on to Zambia to teach a, a course on Paul's journeys and evangelism to some pastors down there, and I had heard that you know just be careful you don't you don't talk to someone's wife without permission or talking to him first or addressing him you know it's some cultural thing like I was I was weary of that because I heard that that might be a be be a, a bad thing to do right and so I was conscious of that it doesn't mean I didn't say hi to the ladies as they were in the in the school and, and you know I, I was very 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 polite but I, but I, I also wasn't as Gregorius as I might have been, uh, Gregorius, that's, that's a person, Gregorius, <laughs> <It> Gregorius, <works. laughs> as, I, as I would have been back home saying hi to people because that's just a different culture. So being part of a different culture, you should be aware of it, and, and that's okay. And that doesn't mean it changes who you are, but in that moment you might adapt to make it less uncomfortable for everybody, including self.
0: Yeah, Absolutely um as we as we start to wrap up here um what do you uh what do you think is the what's the what's the what are maybe maybe some <laughs> what are the easy baby steps like the low hanging fruit um for people who are looking to expand their own cultural boundaries if you will
1: uh, read okay the the low hanging fruit is that there are Books written by people from uh, different cultures that can give you uh, insight, at least into another person's view that's not yours, and because it's it's a book and it's not an individual person, you're not worried about the pushback right away. Very low risk. Very low risk. And you you pick up a book by an author from that culture and not. And this is what happens too often. And I, and I love my brothers and sisters that. That are, are trying to be part of the conversation that are, are white, and, and what they want to do is they want to go to the the very heavily conservative black authors. And I was say, about to say, you pick these. up Ben
0: Carson, or
1: <laughs> and, and and there's nothing against the Ben Carson or Thomas Soul. I, I get it; those, those are those are quality people that I, that I've read and listened to on occasion,
0: and and write from a conservative Christian background too. Like and, great uh, writings, but not going to help you understand the culture, <laughs> right? And and, and
1: and 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 no one's always right. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. even those that we agree with mostly aren't always right. So you right. kind of, you, 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 take it all in and then you say, okay, now, how can we, how can I understand this better? Because if, if you just listen to the people that, that agree with you, then you're in your silo and you don't get all of the beauty of the right. rays of sunshine, you know? And so, um, I would say, suggest reading because it's, it's something you can do on your own time and your own space and have your own thoughts and work through them, um, then I would then I would suggest, okay, if you if you really want to get into a deeper understanding, you can go from that to so then maybe I I venture out to a place where I don't normally go and meet people with different cultural groups. Um, in Milwaukee we had this thing called Summerfest or all the festivals, which was an awesome way to experience cultures. But it's not really getting to know someone per se. You can go there and just be with your same group, but you were seeing some of it. Not to go there and engage in a conversation with somebody from a different culture, that's the key.
0: And it doesn't have to be a conversation about culture. Like, I think that's the biggest, That's the biggest, especially in the last couple of years. Like, that's been maybe the biggest frustration for me is, um, like, people want to engage in conversations about culture more than they want to engage with, inter- like, interact with actual individuals.
1: Yeah. And so, and because, once again, if they don't trust you or think you love them, you're having a really deep conversation with someone that that's not that you're not ready to have it with. Mm. So f- the first thing is to build relationships to 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 have someone that you're willing to talk with and and comfortable to, to engage with about about the local sports, about the weather, about the housing market, about things that are are not deep rooted hurtful things with with the past that. That neither one of you lived, but, but both of you are experiencing in the mm-hmm. present. You know, so you, you you don't go there right away. You don't you don't start the conversation with, so what do you think about the latest racial conflict? <laughs> that that is, that's not how you start. <laughs> right. You no, know, you you start. You know, what did Jesus do with the woman in the well? Hey, could you give me some water? Mm-hmm. He didn't start with, you know, I know you got a lot of husbands and what. And, oh, he started with the water. Could you give me some water? You know. um... It, it it doesn't have to go deep right away. Mm-hmm. Build a relationship, you know, and then from there you go. Um, and then, if if they're interested in being a um, a part of this in a more substantial way, more tangible way, um, I would reach out to churches in your area that you know have different ethnic groups. Within the church or within the community, and just ask the pastor is there any way that I could help in this um is is it flyers is it coming to events uh is it maybe going to church and, and getting to experience them and not leaving your own church but but knowing that we're in fellowship, and so we can do that, and it's it's okay mm-hmm. um yeah, but i I would yeah those are those are my baby steps, yeah.
0: Well, yeah, I think the other thing that you talked about earlier, which I wholeheartedly agree with, is the idea of, like, especially as white folks, we love to do our foreign missions, right? But we oftentimes overlook home missions, like, big time. And that was that was a huge uh, determining factor for me in choosing to be a teacher, even, and pursuing that, was the idea of, like, I, I was ready to join the military, and I was, I was gung-ho, and I was ready to sign the papers, right? And, like... Just in my prayers one day it was kind of this, you know, hey, you can you can go overseas a- and fight for people's rights and you know so mm-hmm. on and so forth. But, you know, 45 minutes from home, there are people who are fighting for the same opportunities. You know, you can you can you can go do that work there or you can do that work here and you're basically doing the same work and you can do it either here at home. In a, in a neighborhood that's, you know, within reach and close by and right here with fellow Americans. Or, you know, you can go I mean, a different set of tools, but you're right. basically doing the same work elsewhere. Um, and uh, I I for me, it was something I, in my brain, I could not justify walking away from, you know, the opportunity to do ministry or to serve, I guess, is more the the way. Like, I couldn't walk away from an opportunity to serve here to go serve somewhere far away. Yeah. Like these are my brothers and sisters right here in a city I love, in a place that I love, why would I leave them to go serve, you know, basically the same demographic in a different continent, you know?
1: So when I was at St Croix and I I felt bad I was trying to find his name just now. I know his first name was Corey. Um and he worked at Bloomington Lutheran. And he used to bring students by Saint Croix. And, and and he had a heart for missions, evangelism um. Anyway, I'm, I'm sure he's still serving and loving good people right now. Um, but he and I would talk about this a lot, about missions a lot, about about reaching lost, about serving the the, the struggling, because we were both doing high school ministry kind of. And uh, and at the time, my children were young children; <laughs> they were all under the age of three, uh, a, th- a third grade, I should say, all under the age of ten. And they were watching the show called Backyardigans, and and he and I sat down one day at St. Chris Cafeteria, and we we drew up this plan for backyard missions. That instead of going to someone else's neighborhood, someone else's community, someone else's country, how about we do mission work right here in our backyard? Now I ended up leaving. He you know whatever. We never actually did backyard missions. But I think they're they're out there. People are doing them. I know Wisco does missions in the United States. They they do missions. St. Croix does. You know we all of our high schools are are kind of sending kids out. Uh, WLC does them within the United States. MLC does them through daylight. We're we're doing some of that. But that they're still mostly being sent away from their home. Do you, do you go and give out flyers in your neighborhood? Do you, do you invite people to church in your neighborhood, or is it only when you get on a flight and go somewhere two hours away? that you can hand out flyers. And and so part of me is just saying and reminding us, God has given you a mission field. Whether you go full-time ministry through MLC and, and the seminary or not, God has given you a mission field wherever you're at. And, and you serve Him by loving the people around you and, and treating them with humility and love and respect. And then in that, you show them Jesus and, and, and witness to who He is in their lives, for their lives. But, it's it's this idea that we got to go do something extravagant. No, how about you just show them Jesus? Yeah, you know, and, and that could be done in your own. So, yeah, get involved with your own neighborhood. Be more loving to your own to your own. I mean, lo- love love your siblings, your mom and dad. Love your your family, your cousins. Love your aunts and uncles. When you get that figured out, then come talk to me about the cultural stuff.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Right. yeah. Say so when you get that figured out, then start bringing more people into your circle. Yeah,
1: yeah. Right. I you mean, know, it,
0: one at a time. C- c- bring we people can do- into your circle.
1: This is how ridiculous it sounds. I want to go start a church over in the community B. Meanwhile, my own household is blowing up and is <laughs> and is is on fire. And my, my kids don't talk to each other, and I don't talk to my wife, and my wife doesn't talk to her kids, and and aunts and uncles are and grandparents. My whole my own house is a mess. How am I going to go build a new house of God? So, so, so if you if you build up your house and and, and keep them in Christ, and then then you've already done mission work because they're going to have other touch points that you don't have, and so that's that's it. Seems so you know, not simple. It sounds simple, but it's not simple. I know that. But it—it's where I think we should start. Is your house in order? Okay, now you go out from there. But if you, let's say you go try to start a church in community A and your house is still a mess, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So, um, anyway, sorry I got a the tangent a little bit there, but You're good. it's just—we it, don't need huge Herculean things we just need to love we need to 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 love our neighbor as ourselves love and then to take take people's words and actions in the kindest possible way and if what i say offends my brother then i will not say it i mean those are three things that i think are pretty simple easily understood all scriptural all speak to this cultural conversation in these collisions if we could do those
0: yeah, Amen. I well, thank you for your time, Pastor Robinson or Professor Professor Robinson. P. Rob, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, do you have anything you want to plug here? Anything you want to put your uh, put out there for the world? That we can uh, attach down below social media ministry you're doing anything like that.
1: I suppose I, I, I we should comment on the uh, the MLC Cultural Engagement Center. We have our Facebook page and. And we're working on being consistent with that and getting things out there. And hopefully someday there'll be not a podcast, but maybe some videos that go out from there, short devotions that you can look at. And, and not, not all of them will have to do with culture. Yeah. But they'll speak to the one who allows us to cross all barriers and all divisive things and bring unification through Christ. So yeah. um, so the, the mostly Cultural Engagement Facebook group um, is what I'll plug today. The yep. next time I come back, I'll see what else to plug.
0: Yeah, nice, and that's Martin Luther College, the Cultural diversion or D- Diversity uh,
1: Cultural Engagement Center.
0: Oh, Cultural Engagement Center, right? I'll link that down below. Um, and then, how if people want to get in contact with you, how can they do that?
1: Uh, they can do so. <laughs> they, they, they can do so through uh, my um my MLC email, which is Robinson eight no no. Wow, it's R O B Robins, R-O-B-I-N-S-A-T, at MLC dash. Wells dot edu. Awesome. Um, and then I'm also able to be contacted through that Facebook page at the Culture Engagement Center.
0: Sweet. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time. Glad to have you here. You're it's welcome. It's been a blessing.
1: Yeah, man. Let's do this again.
0: Absolutely. Yes, for sure. All right. All right, All right gentlemen. Um, what do I always say at the end? Shoot, I forgot what I'm supposed to say. I forgot. Oh, go be the man that God created you to be. We'll see you next time. <laughs> On behalf of all those involved in producing, recording, and publishing this episode, thank you for listening to the Gird Up podcast. We hope it helps you along your journey to be a man after God's own heart. Be sure to check out the Gird Up channel on YouTube. There you will find many podcast episodes just like this one, but you will also find exclusive video content geared at helping you be the man that God created you to be by introducing you to other godly men, teaching you how to behave, study, dress, act, eat, and live like a man of God, and you'll find devotions to help you grow in faith. Please consider supporting Gird Up Ministries by donating on Patreon, shopping in the online store at girdupministries.com, or by making a $5 cup of coffee donation at girdupministries.com. Those donations help us make more great content just like this for young men just like you. Make sure that you like, follow, friend, and subscribe to Gird Up and our guests on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Those links are in the description. And as always, we will be praying for you on your journey. Blessings, men. Time to gird up and go be the man that God created you to be.